How big an issue was equal prize money to you? I always thought even when I played, it seems like we were being overpaid. And then people would tell me like in the 90s, no, you have no idea. <laughs> we're only making this percentage of total you know, revenue. And in other sports, they make this percentage. And it would blow my mind. But I came up with not a lot. And you know, at 16, I started making more than my dad. So it was all overwhelming to me. And then once I got to spend time with Billy, that she was the first one that really taught me all about quality and what to strive for with women and what we've been up against through the, the course of history. Hey everyone, John Wertheim here. It is this week's Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast, Beyond the Baseline. We were away on vacation last week, but now we're back. Obviously, a lot has happened since our last discussion. Who better to survey the landscape of tennis with than Lindsay Davenport? Former number one player, three-time Grand Slam champion, Hall of Famer, commentator, mom, wife, but also very honest broker and... Um, a great person to sort of take inventory of tennis. So we're going to talk about a lot of topics here on this podcast. We're going to jump around, but that's in keeping with our attempts to keep this conversational and uh, unscripted and loose-fitting. So let's bring her in. The great Lindsay Davenport is back. Welcome again. Hello, Mr. Wertheim. You are reflexively, pathologically even modest, so you're going to uh, roll your eyes even though we can't see you, but I'm telling you, on social media and email, people are always saying, when are you bringing Lindsay back? She's got to be on more often. So uh, you've made a lot you of people happy. You know I don't happy. believe you, so you don't even have I, to say that. I will show that. you. People are going <laughs> to... I'm forwarding you tweets. So anyway, thanks thanks for uh, thanks for coming back. Anything for you. So I figured we would... It's been a, it's been a weird couple of weeks. I figured we would ease into things. So I'll start you out with a softball. What the hell's going on in tennis? <laughs> When did this sport turn into uh, to crazy land? I know, right? I mean, these first... Uh, first 90 days have been interesting. Yeah, these first three months, you almost want to just, like, semi-erase and, and say, can we do a do-over? But, <laughs> first, um, first ball in. It, it is where we are, but um, I, I don't know. I keep thinking, okay, it, it can only get better from here, right? Better stories, more positive outcomes, Um you know, and even when we thought we were, like, going that way, Roger's coming back early in Miami, he's going to be back playing, and then then he can't. So, I I don't know. It just seems like there's a lot of chaos right now in the sport. And this is the times when – these are the times when I think, okay, it would be better if we had one leader leading both the men and the women players and were able to navigate through this together. Um, That's but, a really good point. We just, I think we need no more controversies for the next few months. <laughs> where, where I, I feel like you sort of have, have the strange role in this. So you're, you're a former player, obviously, and you've done some coaching, and yet you're, you're kind of a straight shooter on the air. You're very much a straight shooter on the air. Do you, do you see yourself as, as journalist, as former player? I mean, if, if you're in my shoes, you, you kind of don't care, and the news is the news, and you report on it, and in some weird kind of way, Maria Sharapova... You know, failing a drug test is is actually, you know, it's it's something you write about. It it changes things up. It's unexpected. Where do you sort of see yourself in reporting all this? 
Uh, I think the first few years, right when um, I stopped, I know that I was really conscious of, oh, I know so many people that are still playing, or I know this person, and I don't want to say anything. And then I think as the years go by, you just you get more detached, and you, you start seeing, I started seeing my role as, it, you're supposed to go on there and say, I'm being paid to say my opinions and my um, outlook on things. And I, I just think the years go by, you just get more, why wouldn't I say what I feel? Uh, I'm amazed at how much jockeying goes on behind the scenes to get people in, <laughs> in our positions to not say their true feelings. Oh, like, we've been these meetings and we're like, oh my gosh, are you, but... Wait, you're, you're, talking about, so, you're talking about from, from agents saying, I wish you wouldn't say this, from the tour? It, it, comes, from, it, it comes from even more than agents. You know, it comes from all over, and right. that's when we get into it. It is a very small niche sport, um, but there are times when it's like, okay, you know, this person called, uh, we're not supposed to say this, and you're like, what are you talking about? So I don't know. I don't believe in any of that. Um, how, know, much, how much I, do you fear the other side, though? So, so Chris Everett, um, you know, we're, we're going to, you and I will talk candidly as we always do, and uh, if we get in trouble, we get in trouble. But, you know, so, so Chris, Chris Everett gets asked about Djokovic's comments, and she makes a remark that a lot of people took issue with, how there were cultural differences, and the U.S. is so far ahead of, of Europe in terms of gender issues, which I think some people looked at um, with, with a, a cocked eye. But, you know, she got beat up pretty good for that. How much... Do you fear that you're going to say something and you're going to say to yourself, shit, if I had just taken the path down the middle and played it straight, I wouldn't have to deal with this kind of backlash? I mean, how, how much do you feel how, how much do you fear saying something that's going to turn into this, this cause celeb? Yeah, that is kind of like your biggest nightmare, right? <laughs> Where you do say something and then it gets taken. You know, people are, want to misconstrue stuff if they're not a fan or they don't like everyone in this day and age is looking at something to put someone down with or use it against them. Um, so you kind of have to have a thick skin when you agree to go into this, this kind of role or this kind of job where you're putting your opinions out on the line. Um, and that was a perfect example where I believe Chris was talking about in prize money, the U S open was the first and we're more accustomed to in this country, in this sport of, of striving to be equal. Um, and then that got taken. It was more of a cultural thing. So, I, I mean, who knows? But um, sometimes I, I do. I will never, and the, the, lucky this isn't my job, talk about politics. <laughs> I don't say a word on that subject. You feel ever. the burn? <laughs> um, no, there, there are a number of, of third rails, and you expect some backlash. But, yeah, I mean, I, I even, let's, let's sort of transition here. What Ray Moore said was indefensible. His choice of words was horrific. I mean, you, you cringe when you, you read it. There's no way it could have been taken out of context. All of that said, I do feel like here's this guy in his late 60s who two weeks ago you would have said, oh, yeah, he's an old South African player, runs Indian Wells, seems like a nice enough guy. And now this guy's like Jimmy the Greek. I mean, I, I can't imagine what he's going to do to reverse his legacy. And it was a really, really bad choice of words that he used, but... It was it was one bad morning, and this guy's completely rewritten how he's going to be recalled. That that to yeah. me is a little spooky. You know, it, it it definitely, and and it's like wildfire now. If you say anything that can be taken anyway, it's everywhere in a heartbeat. Um, for those of us that don't know Ray well, and surprisingly, even though he's a tournament director at Indian Wells, I've had very minimal contact with the guy 
my whole life. And I think he even lives like 10 or 15 minutes from me. So then you read those comments and you don't know him. You obviously, you take him more the wrong way. Then you talk to some people in the sport and everything that he's done over the years. You know, Billie Jean King, I had a conversation with her where she was trying to explain exactly what he's meant to the sport and the history, and he made a mistake. It, I have no it, – it's fine. I just – after hearing those comments, it was like, well, he can't run a women's tournament. Right. But if yeah, the guys exactly. choose to keep him on as the men's tournament director, so be it. But you can't possibly have a guy who even says those comments or thinks that. And that's, there are a lot of people in our sport that think those comments. They might not say them publicly, but they – you know, women's tennis is – People love to kind of make jokes about it or put it down, even those in the sport. You know, no problem, but then don't go try and be involved in women's tennis. Right. No, that, that's that was, you You and I know that that's the dirty secret. That was my first thing when I read that's those. Really, I'm like, yeah. well, whatever yeah, they want to do with game. him in right. the tournament, get him out of women's tennis. That's a really good point. The other thing, too, is you, you don't make those kinds of remarks if you think you're a lone wolf who feels this way. I mean, clearly right. this, is a, this right. is a version of a speech that he's given and heard many times with, within tennis. And we've all heard it many times. People say it, like, in back rooms or wherever in, in certain meetings. Um, but then, like I said, don't try and do anything leading women's tennis or being involved in women's tennis. How big an issue was equal prize money to you? Um, you know, it was so funny because I was always – I always thought even when I played, like, I can't believe – it seems like we were being overpaid. And then people would tell me, like, in the 90s, no, you have no idea. <laughs> You're like, we're only making this percentage of total, you know, revenue. And in other sports, they make this percentage. And it would blow my mind. But I came up from with not a lot. And, you know, at 16, 16, I started making more than my dad. The first year I turned pro. So it was all overwhelming to me. And then once I got to spend time with Billy on a – not a weekly basis, but for, I don't know, four to six weeks a year with Fed Cup and other stuff, then you really, that she was the first one that really taught me all about equality and what to strive for with women and what what we've been up against through the, the course of history. Um, I, I do thank my lucky stars that um, she was the Fed Cup captain for the majority of my career. And now it seems to me you, you can't go back. I mean, you, you, have, nah. you have equal prize money. You can't say, yep, you know what? Uh, the ATP's got a little more in sponsorships, and they've got a little doodad on the net. We've got to go back to, uh, you know, 55-45, 64. Right. It's, it's crazy. I, love, I mean, it's been amazing that the conversation that it's brought up with women's soccer, and I, I don't profess to know all the facts about it. I was reading articles last night in bed, but it's like good for them. You know, that it should be the case if you could, you know, it, people love to argue it's a business, it's this, it's that. There's stuff that goes on behind the scenes that does, that does make it hard for women to earn equal money in, in regular jobs. And that's the kind of stuff that Billy was so instrumental in teaching me about, showing me about um, in my late teens, early 20s. It also, I mean, it seems to me in tennis, too, it's, it's unique in that you're playing simultaneously, that Azarenko walks off the court and there's Rafa ready to go on. I mean, the, the women's soccer is a little different in the sense that you've got, you know, they're, they're not, I mean, literally not a, not a same playing field. Um, right. <laughs> I mean, the, the tennis, when, when everybody's sort of changing sessions and, hey, the Kerber match went long, so Kyrgios is going to move to the grandstand. Right, um, right. It seems to me when everybody's sort of at the same place, playing on the same day simultaneously, and TV's going back and forth, it's very hard to start kind of counting nickels. But yeah, listen exactly. to you. This is uh, 
You you were the Orange County feminist. Um, <laughs> hey, d- two detours, real quick. You you mentioned yep. prize money. I, I got a practical question for you. Okay. H- how does that work? And I've never actually. Um, how does it work just practically? I mean, so Azarenka will. We're, we're doing this on a Friday. Um, you know, Azarenka has a chance to go back to back on these U.S. hardcore events. Indian Wells in Miami. That's a lot of. You know, it's two two million dollars plus. How, how does that work practically? I mean, does the agent then send her the prize money? Does it get direct deposit in a bank? Is there some fund That's where so she funny. can? I think I think every player does it differently, and I'm sure it wouldn't shock you to know that I went in to get my prize money every single time by myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, my money. Uh, in my day, though, we used to get checks, and in my career, I only lost one of them. Um, but now you just go in with your wire instructions and they wire it. I would imagine that a high percentage of players have their agents go in and do it for them. Um, I do think it's a big deal that um, players at, start to take you know, advantage, uh, start to learn the ropes with that and have an idea of where their money goes and w- what it's about. But I also understand that some players just don't care, don't know, and that's why you see some players after their career, I think, have a hard, like have a hard time with finances. It's a very weird. I mean, you know, most most people obviously, you know, you, you get paid every other week, and the money gets direct deposited, and other you know, you star in a movie, and there's a payout schedule. It must be very weird to be like, you know, this week I made eighty five hundred bucks, next week I made seventy two thousand, and it's right. just or a million, right? Yeah, as well, Rekha wins again. Yeah, it's crazy, and. You know, for it's only a certain percentage that of players that make money that is so off the charts. You're just you kind of giggle about it, but that is their reality. And Lord knows, I have no idea what they would do with two million dollars. That's like that's a good month. But but is it is it taxed out on the spot? Yeah, they, I mean, most countries take it out when you go in there. I mean, I know in Australia, it's almost like if you do decent, it's like fifty percent off the top. You try and recoup some in expenses, and then for Americans, then we come back. And for us, really smart California residents that have another what is it, ten or eleven percent? You get, you get no now, sympathy as, as well as federal. You're talking to a New York to get resident. Some of that money back. It's certainly you certainly don't leave Australia or Indian Wells with you know one point two million dollars. That that's a lot out for taxes. But it's not like Azarenka is going in there and walking out with with fat wads of cash and a racket. No, bag. I only uh, no, definitely not. Come on, you were about to you were about to say something. Who uh, no, one time, who, who took one it in cash? Come on. Get, I did get paid in cash, but this was like '94, and it was uh, it wasn't that much. But that one one tournament did did pay a little bit in cash. What a strange existence! If I'm allowed to say yeah. that. I just wrote out some goals and stuff. I wanted to get drafted as high as I can. I mean, that's coming up. We'll see. After the regular season, after the bowl season, there is another season: draft season. As soon as the confetti rains down on the NCAA champion, a crop of college football players officially become NFL prospects. These players' new goal is to convince 32 NFL front offices that they cannot be missed. The road to the pros isn't the same for everyone. There are stars derailed by injury. His season is over following surgery. Tropera torn meniscus in his right knee. Blue chip talents overshadowed by red flags. Yeah, I was like, yo, we're going to this party. Let's pop this before we go. And I thought, well, everybody else here is doing it. I guess I can do it. 
QBs trying to prove they can become the face of an NFL franchise. Just tune out the noise and just really focus in on doing what you need to do to be the most prepared you can. I'm Ben Glixman, and over the coming weeks, Sports Illustrated's team of reporters will give you a behind-the-scenes look into one of the craziest and most compelling events in sports. The draft goes deeper than seven rounds. Each pick is a player. Each player has a story. Get ready. It's draft season. To subscribe to this podcast, search for Draft Season on iTunes or find it at si.com slash draft season. Hey, here's another random one for you. Did, you know, you saw Andy Murray in the uh, the men's balls versus women's balls? Yeah. I must have had 25 people write to me and saying, who knew? How come no one talks about this? As, as if this were a, a conspiracy. Here's the thing. I don't think, and I could be wrong because I was calling that match, I don't think he played a point with the ball. I think what happened is the ball kid threw it to him, and he got really ticked off and noticed it. But I could be wrong, but that was the impression that I got. Now, at the U.S. Open in Miami, those are the two combined events. It, It might be one in the summer. It might be Cincinnati as well that used two different balls for the men and women. It's very noticeable on them. The women's always has red writing. The men's is always in black. Uh, I, is it a different it ball happen. ball? I mean, is it different compression? It's a or different. different. It, the, women's, the women's is lighter. There's no question about that. And so if you go on a practice court in Miami, a lot of times players that aren't that uh, cl- clean leave their, <laughs> leave their stuff all around and there would be balls everywhere. And you would, I would go through them before practice and get take out all the men's balls. But... It's very noticeable. I think he was very frustrated that the ball kids were throwing in incorrect balls and just picking up whatever balls they saw. And why would they eat? Why? How could they not know the difference? That was my interpretation. I never got the sense that Andy Murray, who's serving and is, looks methodically at the balls before right. he bounces right. them and chooses the ball, he knew immediately he was thrown a women's ball. I, like I said, I don't think he played the point with it, but I think he was just frustrated that it was put in the the six balls in play we had uh we had brad gilbert on a few weeks ago let's st- stick with murray for a second we had brad gilbert on a few weeks ago we were talking about how seems like a pretty reasonable guy you see him in the players lounge very friendly and then he gets on the court and it's like beer face like he just he just yeah. turns into this maniac yeah did, did you have that where you were just unrecognizable while you played Sometimes, yeah, and sometimes the easiest people to take that frustration out is your camp. And for me, it would manifest when I was really tired. Um, certainly not at the level I don't think. <laughs> Murray, I don't think I would have a husband. You're or... <laughs> giving me nothing, John Leach, nothing. <laughs> I mean, it was crazy, the match, a first match for him, so I guess it was second round because he had a bye, right. and he's winning, and he starts just looking up out of nowhere, and two one all or two all in the second set, and just going after the camp that is far from the court. And he was telling them to go home. And, the, and <laughs> I, I have to say, at certain times, I don't understand it. I understand it more like quarterfinals, four all in the fourth, and he's, he's tense. I don't understand it up a set, one all, first match in Miami, searching them out to berate them. Um, well, even the chair. I mean, I remember An- Andy, you know, I, I would say that he's, you, you and I are sufficiently friendly with him that we, we don't feel like I'm taking, you know, A- Andy Roddick would do the same thing. And just he would have these arguments it's like, come on, you're smarter than that. And he would just have these arguments in the middle of a match and scream at the chair. And the chair is in the position, unlike the camp, where the chair actually has to sort of respond and acknowledge there's a conversation going on. 
Yeah. And then the match is over, and it's like, oh, yeah, sorry, I kind of lost it out there. I don't know what. Yeah, it is super high stress, high tensity. Um, you know, Novak's dad, did you read that article he did like two weeks ago or something? Where. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Revealing. And right. I, it was fascinating to me. He said, well, Andy's so good, but the difference is he can't hold it together right. in a tense moment, right. and he loses so much energy because of that. And that's a kind of a real insight to Novak. You'll see Novak snap briefly in some matches. But it's like he gets like Zen on the changeovers, and he's able to just come right back like it's the first game of the match. That someone who has that in them, where they get a little angsty on court and is able to regroup in that situation, that is like amazingly impressive. I just don't. I mean, it's it's this is why athletes are athletes, and you know, I, I'm not one of them, and you are. But I can can Andy Murray not just tell himself, "Uh oh, the the rage is starting to bubble. I need to change my behavior and take a deep breath." I mean, the, the fact that the guy's pushing 30 years old and still has these sort of lapses in, in the match, and he, he knows at some rational level that he's, he's behaving erratically and can't stop it, to me, is pretty remarkable. I, yeah, it is, and it, it doesn't matter who's there, right? We thought, okay, last year he must be really unhappy with Bjorkman because he seemed to be go, doing it more than normal. <laughs> right, right. And then Jamie Delgado comes in in January, and it was the worst I'd seen at Miami. And yelling, go home, like, it, I, don't, I, I don't get it. And Moresmo even moved out of that situation and sat on her own somewhere. So uh, they're obviously trying to figure it out and work through it. But um, I remember, I remember would, Leighton Hewitt screaming in his box because somebody had sat in a different seat than they had the previous match. That he, oh. he, knew, he knew the seating chart, and somebody was, you know, one to the left of the mom. And it, it, for three games, that was more important than hitting the ball over the net. Yeah, ah, tennis. We're crazy. We're all crazy. crazy. That's why we love the sport. Um, let's do a, a brief Maria detour, though. I don't. I don't know what there okay. is. I don't really know if there's there's a whole lot to add. Um, you know, this is this was already we're, we're about a month out. Are, are you hearing anything in terms of procedure? Not a word. <laughs> it was there was obviously in the in the what a week or two after the admission, like a heavy kind of pro-Maria PR campaign to get by, a lot more her, positive stories yeah, going out about it and, and people arguing about the drug, if it's how useful it is. and um, But now it's just kind of gone radio silent. And I don't think we'll know until the hearing's over, which I'm not sure we'll know when it's happening. I think we'll just hear when we hear what her suspension or, or non-suspension is. I, I mean, you know, I, I don't know if, I think you and I had both heard that she'd, she'd been practicing on clay, which was yep. perhaps optimistic. And I don't know. Apparently, she was on vacation with Chelsea Handler at one point. But this, this is to me, uh, for you're absolutely right. For for two weeks, this was a daily sort of update. And here was a positive story. And if you have any more questions, please contact. So, and the last two weeks have gone pretty, pretty dark. Yeah, the really dark. Like we got, we had a bunch. We were inundated with kind of info on right, the drug right. and this, and then. It was like, oh, well, she only took this dose, and then, oh, but the case is confidential. I'm like, well, that's weird. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're not. We're not going to something. We're not going to try this. But you're like offering out other info. The whole thing just got too much. I'm, I'm happy it's kind of quieted down, and it it will run its course, and we'll see what ends up happening with the decision. Can you tell people how? I mean, I think one part of this that's, I don't, I don't say critical, but but fairly important is whether or not she listed. This meldonium 
on various forms. Can you tell people how these forms work? Where, you know, I, I think that, one of our colleagues was saying, look, if I took a muscle relaxer before a flight, I would put it on a form. Of course. And that, to me, is kind of the key to all of this. And that's the stuff we'll never know. The ITF will never release dosage. They'll never release you know, former paperwork, they'll just come out with their decision or WADA, and this is what it is. They don't, they don't fight their case publicly. So anyone accused of, of doping, they can say actually whatever they want. They could say it's wrong, they can say this, because no one will ever come out and fight against them. To me, the, the big thing is if she declared it, and I'm sure it, if you take anything, if you take Advil, if you take something stronger, you take an antibiotic. Um, I mean, I, I know that I had to go, I like, I did all the, the searching for birth control because there was one birth control that had a banned substance. Like you, you, you're crazy about that. Right, right. So even if she had been taking it for a few years, absolutely. That's a huge deal. If that was on her January form at the Australian open, if she listed it, you how how often you take it, you the dosage. And that's not something you forget as a player. You, that's one of the things you're most concerned about. So it would be, and then there would be a history. You can maybe say, oh, I, I forgot this one tournament. Well, then it would be on her records the last 10 years every time she took it. That to me is that's what just deal, so baffling That's a big deal, but that's something we'll never this. know. But that might, that's going to either help her case a ton, um, which it should, because if she was taking it, if she should have been writing down she was taking it, or right. that's something that could really hurt her. Well, that's why I think, I mean, that's why I think the, the camp may have misplayed their hand, which, I mean, she probably gave up more information than she had to at that initial press conference. If she had just said, look, I've been taking this for personal reasons. But once she starts saying it's for X, Y, and Z, people start picking that apart. And then once the dosage got out there, then you say, okay, you're going to traffic in this level of specifics about that. How come you're not answering the questions when people want to know simply if you put it on a form? Um, well, that's it's just it. Weird... The one conference call, the lawyer said, oh, the dosage was really low. And I think he even gave a number. And then it was like, did she put it on her form? Oh, I, I can't go into specifics of the case. That's I was like, when, dude, you, dude, you I just did. The, those of us on the phone were like, that's weird. But right. um, that's, that's, to me, that's a big deal. And I'm sure it'll be a big deal to those involved in the case. And again, if she wrote it down, then I think she has a very, very strong case. If she didn't declare it, then there's even right. more questions. Well, why wouldn't you declare it? So we'll figure. We'll I, see what ends up happening. You know, someone said, "Oh, it's it's very messy and it's very complicated." And I'm thinking, like, it always is. Nobody says, "Yes, I took this. What's my suspension?" Like, there's always a set of mitigating circumstances, and whether it's Chilich and Troisky, I mean, just go down. Not even you know, even go beyond tennis. I mean, these, these cases are always messy yeah, and complicated. Really an open- and- <laughs> No, no, nobody says like, "Oh, you got me, I'm busted," or actually, our, our test was screwed up and you're exonerated. I mean, that there's, yeah. there's oh, it's always. T- I think, and, and it's funny because I think that I don't know enough about that drug. It does seem weird that whatever 120 athletes have tested positive for it this year, right. and most of them are Russian. It's a lot of low magnesium. You can, you can fight about, you know, oh well, they didn't tell us clear enough. I, they come back and say there was four or five. I mean, who knows all of that stuff? I do know whatever doctor she was getting it from. I, I just can't see her with that fine oiled machine and such a perfect business. How could she have a doctor that, that is isn't is following is. those rules and, and doesn't know? That's the part that it's like, that's so weird for someone who's so professional about so everything. So buttoned up, right? I mean, yeah. I just don't know where, the, I mean, if she were taking this for not legitimate reasons, she would have quit. And if she was taking this for therapeutic reasons, she would have sought an exemption. The fact that just nothing happened is just 
a baffling yeah, breakdown to me. I think that's the me. part that it will always be so weird about a, a player that is so professional about everything, how she allots her time, how hard she works in practice, how much she's so professional with the media and with sponsors. That, that just seems like it's, that was so, that just is so out of character. In the year 2000, you're, let, me, let me see. You won the Australian Open that year, I think. You're ranked number one. How, how many players in the top 50, your competitors, do you think um, are, are either doping or seeking not legitimate wow. performance-enhancing uh, advantages? I, you know, I, I was super naive about the percentages, um, but I, I think there was, there was definitely some players, but uh, the percentage, I think it was probably easier to dope back in the '90s. And oh, gosh, I don't know. Um, was this something I, that was sort of persistently on your mind, or no, just... never, never when I was playing because I was an idiot. <laughs> But then you retired and you said her, 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 and her? I can't believe uh... Well, no, no. In the mid-2000 years, it was like, it, it started to hit me more. Where I was all of a sudden, I'm like, what? She looks like a completely different person. Or, wow, that player doesn't get tired anymore. Or it, it started to click in, I think, maybe when I got older or more aware of things. Or probably when I started training harder and was trying so hard to, like, get fit and get faster. And, you know, two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward. I, I couldn't walk like on Wednesdays after Monday and Tuesday. It was like a struggle to go out and practice. And then you'd, you'd see other players like, how are you able to do this for eight hours and still come back again the next day? <laughs> right, you know, and some right. people's body types are totally different. I get all that. Um, but then I started, I think, to get a little bit more annoyed at the situation. And then you start doing more research and you find out, oh, well, the people that invent the drugs, they're a couple of years ahead of the people testing for drugs. And right. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Then you start really getting annoyed when you're clean. Um, what about now? Top 50. Just, gosh, it just is, scuttlebutt. It, and what, what? It's such a gamble because in this sport, truly, as the rules state, it's two to four years. Even, right. you know, and we've, we've heard stories of players getting off for less, for fighting for whatever they didn't know and this and that. But it just floors me that they take that big of risk. But I, it's definitely out there. I, I don't know the percentage, but it's definitely it definitely happens. I mean, look at Lance Armstrong, never failed a test. and Yeah, well, yeah, Marion Jones, Barry Bonds, they're all, uh, they can all crazy. say this, right? Yeah. Um, I, I would say if, if I'm, then we'll move on. I would say if I'm Maria, I'm more pissed than anyone at Marion Jones and Lance Armstrong and Barry Bonds because they've created this climate of skepticism and it's it's not haters on social media and it's not the conventional media. Like there's a track record of athletes denying, 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 and then later yeah. learning those denials I, it, are false. I mean, that to me is sort of where a lot of the skepticism comes from. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, gosh, it's just she's she's always been, you know, she doesn't, you know, she doesn't strike you as a player. I, and I don't know what this drug supposedly does. I guess it helped with stamina right. and, like, what right. was it, the soldiers last longer. I mean, she, you look at her and you, she's not, like, like the craziest-looking athlete out there. <laughs> she's not yeah, like, right. you know, but, but I think we've moved on. bulging and this and that. Right. And, um, no, I've You know, she, right. she knew it was illegal. She Starting this year, she wouldn't have been taking it. Um, but... I don't know. I, gosh, we'll see. It's so it's so confounding. I am uh, no, but I, you know, I mean, t- ten years ago, I wrote these things. I'm embarrassed to, that are out there saying like, oh, how many tennis players look like they have big muscle? You know, we've moved beyond sort of East German steroids <laughs> yeah, to uh, 
All right, let's move on. Actually, um, I got some speed round for you. Okay. I haven't written anything down, but I'll just. What's What's Victoria Azarenka ranked right now? I don't mean I don't mean numerically. No, I mean what. Uh, yeah, she, she, for the she year? is. The, yeah, no, no. I'm saying ne- never mind her ranking. What What is she? She's the top three player right now. Jesus, she's like one right now. That's what I. Yeah. I mean, you, yeah. I for the past for this year, she's been far and away the best WTA player. She had one so-so match, and that's it. And that was the quarterfinals of the Australian Open. Or she could very well be undefeated for the year. What uh, What are we making of Serena? I I not too much. I think. Uh, it's whenever she decides that she is going to go back to committing herself to being the best in the world and not being on the inside. I think that not winning the slam broke her, broke her emotionally. Or for the last six months, she just it's hard. I'm, I think she probably put her heart and right, soul into right. winning the U.S. Open. That didn't happen, and that doesn't happen often for her. <laughs> like, let's face it, when you have that many grand slams, you're – Pretty much. And she's always had this amazing ability, even in matches, to just be like, okay, I want to win now. I don't care. I'm down to set in 4-1. <laughs> time, I'm, I want to win now. So it's going to happen. So I just think that she's going through this, still recovering from just the, a major professional disappointment. I could be wrong, but that's just my take on it. She doesn't look super happy to be playing. A couple practices that we saw, she didn't look super happy out on the court, wasn't really moving. So unless she's injured, I think she's just still, like, heart is broken from not being able to do that. Man, that was Labor Day week. You know, that was a long time yeah. ago. Um, I know. Muguruza, Kerber, your your former charge, Madison Keys. Who, who's going to holop? Who, uh, who's going to fill this vacuum, and, and who are you really worried about? Huh. Um, I was super a... worried about Muguruza. I always say Muguruza. Mugu. Um but I'm telling you that match against Azarenka at Miami, that was the best match, women's match, I have yeah. seen yeah. in, I don't know, years or what. Anyone, find that match on tape and watch it. And then I'm like, wow, she, when she is like that and she's fired up, she's still lost. I think she would have beaten every other player out on tour. That's how good Azarenka's playing, by the way. Um, now, how do you channel that emotion and that desire to a daily basis that is going to be the challenge for her team and this is the part where these these players are so young i i just don't think that you want them in the mentality of like oh well that's a like you have to play that tournament you need to go here there's money here this is a mandatory it's i I think you got to take it easy on this group of players because sometimes the reasoning reasons for playing maybe aren't perfect and then you get an example where she's out on court with a microphone telling her coach i don't even want to be out here right you cannot have the number three player in the world saying that publicly that happened at indian wells this is not a yeah, hypothetical just, example you're giving yeah that just cannot happen so the people around her or the wta they've got to try and make sure that these players are aware of what's happening and they they can't say that it looked horrible uh simona Halep. That, that, that one, choked. to me, is a mystery. What's what's going on there? I don't know. It has to be mental, right? Well, this, you know, I, I saw Darren in, in Australia, and he said, you know, she probably shouldn't even, you know, she had this virus in her nose, and she was going to get surgery, and it went to, there were days when she couldn't even get out of bed. And he said, all right, well, we'll give her a pass on Australia. Let's hope she clears that up. Then I don't think she had the surgery. 
Right. And then sometimes she's looked terrific and looked like, you know, a player who got to number two in the world. And other times she's looked less than terrific and she doesn't necessarily have great, you know, it's a, it's a little bit like Murray. I mean, if you're looking across the net and the other player is getting so upset at seemingly nothing, um, you're internalizing that. I, I can't figure her out. I mean, so, sometimes I think this is a Grand Slam champion and other times you say, boy, this is this is a head case you can't bank on to make the second week of a slam anymore. I- I know, and gosh, she's had some great opportunities too. So, you know, it's interesting with um, Cahill when he goes out there because he's very conscious of trying to get her to relax and to smile. And, um, you know, I think that they're dealing with a lot of, of it has to, I mean, most of it's mental. She, right. She's got a pretty nice looking game. Of course, every player has a few holes, but um, her belief, it's like she's got to start getting that belief um, that she can when at the top and something is holding her back. These, uh, these coaches don't always have it so easy. You got to figure <laughs> out what, um, what, what, um, and then, I mean, Kvitova is the same boat to some extent. I guess so. She just looks like she is way better at tennis than she ever thought she would be. She's so incredibly talented. It's the ball so well. She cares about it, but it doesn't, doesn't strike me that it like, keeps her up like every like late at night i could be wrong it could just be the the person the facade she gives off but she just seems like she really likes to play and sometimes she plays so well she can't believe it and other times she doesn't and it's kind of like it just seems like she's like yeah that's okay i'll you know whatever i have another tournament um she's just a unique type of personality i think i don't know what you think i what you've described by the way doesn't sound a ton different from a certain uh right-handed American a generation ago from Southern California. No, I, I think she's, she's a, you know, you talk to her, she's a lovely person, and you have a feeling that she just doesn't have a competition gear that other players do, and sometimes she can win on talent alone and win majors on talent alone, and other times, meh, eh, it's not, not really going my way today, and uh, it's kind of hot out. I mean, I just... Yeah, kind of. She has so much like game. I, I, I totally agree. I just... Um, you know, you you brought up the uh, Angelique Kerber, right? Now, here's a player that I think works off the charts hard. And, you know, she is very good, but there's there's certain holes in her game, and right. she fights so hard to protect them. And she can't always do it, and sometimes she can. And that's like her mentality is so completely different from Kvitova. It's like, it just seems like it's a 180 degrees different. Like I'm just going to do everything I can every day to just maximize my potential. And look what happens. She wins a slam. I was going to say, she retires tomorrow. She's a slam winner. It's amazing. Um, what, uh, let, let's spare a teeny bit of time for the dudes. Um, yeah. The, the storyline on January 1st would have been who can beat Djokovic. Yep, and, and it still and is. I was going to say, some, some, bad, uh, some bad contact lens issues notwithstanding. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure we've advanced that topic much. Um, are, are you seeing anyone making any inroads? doesn't seem like it. Jeez. And now it seems like he's I, he's at such an incredible high level, and the few matches this year where he hasn't been, he's still just, like, balling out there. Right. Like, right. like being a baller, not crying. Just like, okay, I'm going to figure this out. And and he's just so mentally tough. A lot of other players, if they had the last two years that he's had 
and they're playing a match, and they made, I think, was it 100 unforced errors against Simone? Or what was it yeah. that day? It the was, fourth it round was, of Australia, he hit triple digits yeah. in unforced errors. He couldn't, he couldn't for him, he, could, he was struggling to make balls in the court. It was hot. It was long. Some guys could have walked away or whatever, and this guy's just, like, never going to do that. And he was doing it at smaller tournaments when he's not playing well. He's just like, nope, not happening today. And that's just amazing because some, sometimes you lose your motivation or you're like, eh, I've won. I've gotten to the finals of 18 tournaments in a row. No problem. I'll, I'll pack it in this <laughs> Exactly. Thing. Not happening with him. That is the most impressive thing. And you go, you go down the list and, you know, we, Roger is Roger, but he hasn't been Roger this season. And, you know, Nadal had a nice week in Indian Wells, but still hasn't. Crack Djokovic and, and Murray's head-to-heads against Djokovic haven't been so strong. I mean, you just kind of go down the list and you sort of say to yourself, who who exactly is going to mount the challenge here? Yeah, I know. I, I agree with you. Um, we'll see. I mean, Kyrgios, um, he's you, definitely showing signs in that there direction this year. Like, mentally, he seems more engaged. He's got to be able to keep it together every single point in game against Novak. I don't know if he's quite ready for that. Um Murray's got to get it together, uh, it seems, more emotionally in those big matches. I don't know. I don't. It's not like you see Nishikori ascending and, and starting to dominate Novak. I, right. But everyone says we said this like 10 years ago when Roger was at his very best, um, and along came Rafa and along came Novak. So I'm sure along will come another player that is great, but I don't know who that player is yet. It, oh, boy. I just, you know... We, we, if you if you follow sports, you know that always happens that way, right? I mean, they're yeah, never going to be yeah, a Michael, another Michael Jordan. Yeah, Kobe and LeBron are pretty good, but um, boy, I mean, I someone said no, Novak's about to hit a hundred straight matches of a hundred straight wins, consecutive wins against younger players. That, wow, that, I didn't that, know that. That does not suggest that uh, you know the the castle storming is coming anytime soon, and he's going to be no. deposed. <laughs> um, so does he win the French? I think he and does. does he I, end up with more majors than Roger? What do you think? I think the sheer math, kind of. I mean, you know, who knows? You look at. We would have said that about Tiger uh, in, in yeah. 2008, yep. and he hasn't won a single one since. So who knows? Um, I think the the sheer math certainly. I mean, players are playing longer than ever. So you know, 29, 28, 30 years old is not what it used to be. Yep, absolutely. And uh, you don't see a whole lot of resistance coming. Is it? Is it crazy that he wins? two majors for the next four years? I don't know. No, um, I mean, it, it would be yeah. crazy to think that he might not win three this year right now. based on Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, well if, he, if he won, uh, okay, if, he, if, he only wins, if he only wins two this year, it would be like a remarkable what happened to Novak, what happened to this yep. drop-off. That's where we're at. Is that amazing? That's crazy. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my um, goodness. I, I think the other thing that's crazy is, uh, you know, Pete Sampras, best of all time, and we're never going to see another. Enjoy him while it lasts, because it's never going to be another. Roger Federer, greatest of all time, we're never going to see another. Oh, here comes Nadal. Holy shit, he's up to double-digit majors, and Nadal's going to overtake Roger. And then here comes Novak. We we may see, uh, you know, we may see four greatest of all times in a in a period of fifteen years. Yeah, it's remarkable. That's why I hope Novak wins the French. I hope he gets the career slam when it's all said and done. That would that would be. Gosh, be, that'd be a shame. There would be something cruel. Do that. The, I mean, the other irony about that is this guy's a really good. Clay, I mean, if, if Pete Sampras never wins a French, you know, or, or McEnroe, or, or dare we say, a certain Californian 
of a uh, no, I mean, no, no, Novak grew up on. I mean, this guy grew up on clay. I mean, it's not as though <laughs> yeah. oh, uh, clay's kind of a reach for him. This guy's a really, really yeah. good clay court player. Um, yeah, there would be a certain irony to his not winning a career yeah. slam, but hitting double figures in majors. Um, so, someone actually, multiple people have suggested when we do these podcasts, we have a tip or two for recreational players, so, okay. that, so they can get something out of it. Uh, so, I, I had lunch with a friend the other day who's um, he has a young son who's playing it in Connecticut, actually at the facility, I think, where Gigi Fernandez works. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you tell people, whether they're kids or recreational players or whether it's Madison Keys, how do you close a match? I mean, what, what do you do or don't do differently at 5-2 than you do to start the set? It, I mean, the, the most, the basic thing and is like, and this is what someone would tell to me, is, okay, so let's say you're receiving for the match. And right. you're playing someone that has a returnable serve. You're not playing like Milos Raonic. You're right. like just reacting. Boy, we're the boys' tens like, here. Yes. Know in your mind before they serve where you're going with your shot. So it's like it's just automatic. So the first serve, if it comes to my forehand, I'm going pick up the middle. I'm going cross court. Have a place where you're zeroing in on try and know what your opponent's weakness is. So like if you're starting to feel nerves and you're like, okay, my opponent's forehand is better. So tell yourself, okay, I'm going to the backhand. I'm just going to the backhand I'm, until maybe you have a shot that's mid-court and you can do something with. Take any of the guesswork out because sometimes people that get real nervous, the ball's coming to them. It's like, oh, I'm going to go cross court. Or where am I going? I'm going up the line that they don't know. So get all the indecision out of what you're actually going to do with your shot. Second, you've got to keep, like, you know, obviously, like, the deep breaths, but, uh Try to you have to try and think like it's the first game. That's the challenge for people. Roger Federer throughout his career has managed to look like every game is not the most important game. Um, I don't know how he mastered that, but that's something you have to try and talk yourself into. All right, that's good. What yeah. what about when the you know you uh, it's it's five two and suddenly it's five four. Yeah, that's how, when it starts. How do, how do you how do you how do you ward <laughs> off the uh, the oh shit I'm starting this? Can we swear on this? Go thing? watch the go watch Azarenka yeah. playing Serena in Indian Wells because all of us thought she still had major scar tissue left from the previous year, from everything, and to get up six four five one and to come back at five four B serving at fifteen forty, and look at her. She's not looking like rolling her eyes. She's not like, of course this is happening. She's like like digging her heels in, the gnarly look, the fist pumps. Like she was like, I am battling through this. You are not going to beat me, nerves. You're not <laughs> going to beat me today. And look what happened. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's interesting you said that about Serena, by the way, just to go back to that. That that, that Vinci match. What? That the, that the Vinci match she still hasn't quite gotten over, that there was this investment. That's, no, that's just, that's my No, I think, I think that's very you know, valid. I just, no, I, think I think that there's been so few things that she has wanted so badly in her career that she hasn't been able to get. Right. And uh, so much focus was on it. It was going to be an even bigger game changer for her. I mean, no one's done it since 88. I think she's all about the history books now. I think she knew that that would probably be her best and last chance and just couldn't believe it. Like if you then step back, like I had to beat Roberta Vinci and Flavia Panetta to be probably considered the greatest of all time. Right. Not that it holds right. her back from, right. from what we think, but it is, that would have been an even bigger game changer. In a weird perverse kind of way, it's, it's heartening 
to know that it would mean that much to her? I mean, I could, yeah. I could see Serena being like, all right, you know, out of sight, out of mind, and let's go win the Australian Open. I don't know. And I mean, train's back on. I don't think I mean, she'd ever admit it. No, you know, no, she, no. She likes to downplay it all, but right. that's, again, Patrick could laugh or <laughs> whoever in her cab would be like, you're so far from the truth. And, and that could be. It just seems like something broke her spirit, and it seemed to be broken right about the U.S. Open. They say she's very happy in her personal life. I have no idea. A lot of times in the past when some bad results came, it was correlated right. to some issues going on off the court. Um, it doesn't seem to be the case this time, but who knows? Let's let's end here. A, a we can agree that this sport is so much more complex than the little line scores we get on our phones. <laughs> or, uh, or, or that or most people know about, exactly. Um, <laughs> a lot's going on here. Um, yeah. All right, this is, we're, we're, we're encroaching on an hour. I'm taking a lot of your time. Um, as always, you were great. Thanks. Thank you, guys. We'll do this. Uh, you're, you're turning into our. Uh, I think I said. What did I say? Like Alec Baldwin on not, Saturday Night Live. Yeah. I'm, I'm not speaking in t- to you till May or June. Okay. French, o- French <laughs> Open preview. Jamie says. Um, you're done That's for April. That's why we both picked Simona Halep to win last year. Yeah, I know. We were roundly criticized, and then we had to eat that <laughs> one a little bit. Dang it, Mi- Simona. Milos Raonic is going to win Wimbledon. I've been saying that all year. All right. Um, thanks as always. Seriously. It's a pleasure. Take care. All right. That was Lindsay Davenport, our friend and colleague. I think it's clear why she's so well-liked and well-regarded as a commentator. A lot of candor, a lot of interesting insight, a lot of speculation, which is fine and part of the job. A lot going on in this crazy tennis world, and it is only the first week of April. We'll see whether things settle. We'll see what happens with Maria Sharapova and match-fixing and Serena Williams, what I I think we can almost now call it something of a slump. We'll see how that all resolves itself. These are the plots that continually move and evolve in tennis. Um, Thanks for listening. As always, comments, suggestions, always welcome. I like a few of you had that uh, idea to have some of our guests talk about recreational tennis issues. That was really good, and I thought Lindsay's answer was great. So uh, suggestions like that are always welcome. Um, We'll be back with another guest next week. And uh, do it again. Have a good week, everyone. Take care.